This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now this week saw us release our brand new clothing range. It's our spring range. And what we've done with this collection is we've tried to put together a bunch of garments that you can wear no matter what the weather. We've got a bunch of new t-shirts. These ones I really like. We've got a Berserker Spirit t-shirt and an Ulfadin Spirit t-shirt. And what these are is that they've got a warrior in the middle and then behind the warrior you've got the spirit of the animal that they're embodying. So behind the Berserker you've got a bear and behind the Ulfadin you've got a wolf. Um, alongside that, for those of you who like something a little bit more simple, we've got just a logo t-shirt. So it's our logo on the left-hand side and that comes in a heather neve and a woodland heather. And these t-shirts are 100% organic recycled cotton. Then we've got a new jogging pant which come in the men's and the women's and we've also got a hoodie. So these are all in black with our logo embroidered on them. Again, with the hoodie, we're trying to keep in that theme of keeping things sustainable. So that's made from 85% organic cotton and 15% uh, recycled polyester. And it's um, Global Organic Treaty certified and also Fair Weather Foundation certified. And finally, I think my favorite item from this launch is we've got a brand new 100% cotton jumper. Now, this jumper is absolutely perfect for me. You can wear it on its own or you can layer it up and have a t-shirt under it and throw that on top for that little bit of extra warmth. It's really comfortable, it's really soft. Like I said, it's 100% cotton. Uh, the men's one comes in black and a beautiful olive color. And then we do a women's one, which comes in a lovely navy color as well. So yeah, just pop over to the website and check them out. Don't forget, you get that extra 10% discount off anything store-wide for listening to the podcast and for supporting the podcast. Just use Horns10 at checkout and you can get 10% off anything. Thanks for listening. Let's jump into the show. Just to, to explain to everyone, Matthias, you're having a blizzard at the minute, which is why his his audio might be really sketchy in this episode. So please just kind of bear with us. Um, he, he is moving to somewhere with better Wi-Fi, hopefully soon. Welcome to the Naughty Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the Kuhne Horns of Odin. I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Good day, everybody. We are joined this time by Andrew Solf. Um, also known as the Sea Wolf, um, musician, um, multi-talented individual in general, I'd say. Welcome back to the podcast, man. Yeah, thank you. I, I love you guys. I'm a patron, so it's awesome being back on here. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. And it's great to uh, also be able to announce that you're coming out with a new album now. So yep. um, that's, of course, something that we need to plug Everybody go listen to it. I I have contributed a little bit. Pre-order pre, pre it on hornsofodin.com. Yeah, pre-order it on Horns of Odin. It comes out on uh, May 1st. It'll be everywhere. Uh, Horn, Horns of Odin first, and then uh, it'll be on like all the streaming platforms, um, all the stores, Amazon, Google, all that kind of stuff. iTunes. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, what when you were deciding to make a cd we were a little bit apprehensive because i guess most things don't even have cd players anymore yeah you know it's interesting um i did some research on that and um 
I decided that since, at least for this album, I wasn't going to be, you know, doing a whole lot of touring or anything, um, and that this isn't really more of a performative album, that um, I probably wouldn't sell a whole lot of, of vinyl. But um, I, uh, I did some research, and apparently there's still a good market of, of people in Europe that, that still um, buy CDs. Um, you know, older cars and stuff will have the players and things like that. Um, I, I wanted to at least give somebody something physical. And, of course, if they buy the CD, they'll get a digital uh, link to download all the stuff as well. Um, and by no means did I think that uh, those sales would even, like, be anything significant. It was more just, you know, something to have available to people um, in a physical sense. Um, definitely my my largest listeners are on Spotify and then second to that is is uh, Apple Music and there might be one guy on Deezer or something there's <laughs> <laughs> always that one that one yeah. person no see I mean I, I can't blame you because I would want something physical if I was you as well just like even if it was just one time for the first album just have that physical CD that you can look at and kind of be like you know what I made this yeah, well, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun doing the art and stuff for it too, and uh, yeah. I I was just gonna say like that I agree completely that I miss the days of CDs, you know, <laughs> where you could just like unfold that entire like uh, cover and, and and all the things and like uh, read the lyrics and all that stuff. Like nowadays, you don't really always know where to find the lyrics for for different songs and so on. Um, so, and it was no, just I, it was just good fun hanging out in the CD shop as well, just going oh, and yeah. looking in like the different sections and seeing what you can find. And I'd and always they would buy have one. all those different like little zones where you could like put on headphones and you know listen to like the latest album. And I would find so much music that way because you would yeah. never find music on the radio. Really, rarely. No. no, not the kind of music we like. I no, no. <laughs> but saying that Spotify does a good job for, I mean I know they're yes. not the best for, for necessarily paying artists and, and whatnot but as, as a platform yeah. in what they do they do a very good job of kind of like here's what you've listened to this yeah. is very similar listen to these guys they put together nice daily mixes and that stuff so they do have a good a good system but I know they can just it would be nice if they paid people a little bit better. It would be. Um, their office is actually like just down the street from me. Um, get them. Get them. Do you go <laughs> yell at them often? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do I do support them like upping. I know there's a lot of groups that want them to um, start paying like a, a cent per stream or something. I don't know if they'll ever get to that. Um, but I never had created my plan to be making money off of streaming or music if i wanted to make uh any money it would be from like playing shows and selling merchandise or something like that and it, you know this is uh it, it's not my main job so for me this uh it, i guess it's like a an expensive hobby for for me um so well, that's, you know that's I, usually that's usually it, how it, good it stuff frees happens. me up it frees me up because then it's not like oh i have to make this song otherwise i'm not gonna be able to eat this month or you know, I've got to sell mm -hmm. this many albums or, you know, and yeah. so I can just like relax and, and make something that, that I like. Uh, but I love Spotify. It's, it's a, it's a great platform. I get a lot of listeners from there. It takes a lot of, a lot of pressure off 
just being yeah. able to to do it as you want when you want and and it's a nice situation to be in and if something comes of it then brilliant if not then it's not it's not the end of the exactly. world um but yeah no i i think spotify it's i think it's a good platform i think it helps find a lot of music you wouldn't find yeah. and especially people in your position that are kind of just starting out it really helps people to to pick it up they can just type your name in and there you go they're already paying for the service not having to buy a, a specific yeah. album and fork out you know 10 12 pound like you used to have to do get an album and yeah kind of gamble on whether you're going to like it or not you just pop it on and yeah and at least you know I, we are getting paid even if it's a, a mm-hmm. small amount um you know versus people just like ripping the albums <laughs> off of you know starting service although uh uh when things like limewire and napster came out cd sales went up hmm they, really? they don't like to admit that, but that's that was actually the case, <laughs> mainly because people were finding more music than they normally. Well, that's oh, of course, yeah. And like you say, I guess it is the similar thing with vinyls. You know, vinyls have, have popped back up, and it's not because listening to a, a vinyl is the easiest thing to do. I guess it's just it's just something unique. People like to have something physical to look at and, and put it's an it experience. on. Something. Yeah, so you yeah. still have those people who like that. I mean. It's a tough one. We're not going to fix it here, I don't think. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so, no, let's talk about the album as a whole, your thoughts behind it, your, um, what I guess, your inspiration into it. Because I like, I like your music because it's different to everything else that seems to be out there in this kind of bass and kind of like the Nordic world, Viking-style music. There's so much that, that, that I guess, look at Wadruna and... There's so many want to be Ainas, I think. Um, the the go down that route, whereas you kind of just taken a left turn, done your own thing, done what you like, but it still fit it fits, but it's different. And I I really enjoy it. It's very, it's very chilled out. It's it's not necessarily something I would normally listen to in a sense of that. I think you said last time you were on the podcast, that lo-fi style you explained to me what that was. But I really do. I really do enjoy. It. I like to pop it on when I'm in the workshop and just uh, have it there. Yeah, well, thanks, man. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, uh, that kind of music isn't my my main music that I listen to. Uh, you know, I'm also listening to like Heilong and Borknegger and uh, you know, huge amount of metal and also a lot of uh, alt rock. And actually, when I was making this album. Um, I was listening to a lot of Calandra and um, Metalocalypse and uh, uh, Zed. And so like a lot of like random stuff, but uh, yeah, like Calandra's late, uh, latest album that came from Binaurus, that was really good. Uh, I listened to that a lot. Um, but the this is like the first of nine uh, albums uh, for each of the nine uh, realms. And uh, Niflheim made sense because from it seems that Niflheim and Muspelheim were kind of the first realms, at least to kind of come to sandwich uh, on top of Gunnagagap. And uh, so, I, you know, I wanted to start with that, start with the cold one, because uh, it seems to be kind of like one of the, the more primordial places. Um, and it's interesting because uh, you know it's the one realm that I think is has the 
most amount of mystery behind it because you know some some people say uh, you know maybe it's it's actually hell um you know it has these these dual aspects of of mistiness but also like cold um but so there's all all this kind of mystery behind it and uh and so i had some of those themes kind of in my head when making the album um I wanted to have a lot more collabs on it than I did. Originally, it was going to be like 12 songs, um, but with coronavirus, it made that pretty hard. So um, I did get to do some amazing uh, uh, collabs, uh, Matthias included. And um, it's hard to pull that one through. I've been so busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, it was it was a crazy year. So yeah, uh, does he but, sing on it? You know. <laughs> I. I same uh, yeah lend my voice too <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go. yeah i you know i i manipulate a lot of the voices that that uh people were giving me uh, a bunch just um just to kind of fit the the song and uh uh definitely so the next album is going to be muselheim and i'll be waiting for my call though. yeah you know what i'll uh i should i should record sounds of like you lifting that that big dick rock <laughs> yeah, there was probably was like grunts or something could be some good beats there was some questionable <laughs> sounds being made when i lift when i picked up my big dick rock <laughs> yeah so it's um yeah muspelheim is gonna be a lot more performative this one was is really just kind of like something that i understood people would play kind of in the background while they're working or still working from home and stuff like that um so did you change and- did you or was it already planned before coronavirus, or was this something that came to fruition kind of during, and then you've gone down that route? Yeah, no, it was it was already planned before. So when I had, um, while I was working on uh, the EP, I'm gonna, I, I listed all of of the nine realms. I decided each realm what kind of like the themes, feelings, sounds would be, and then roughly when I when I want to kind of release them. So I, I have an entire map for the uh, for the whole project, um, and uh, things just kind of seem to really like naturally fall in. Yeah, um, I you know I love concept albums, and for me this is kind of like a creative project, and it's it's storytelling in a sort of a way, and so uh, that's kind of how I set it up. Um, and the only thing re- restrictively that happened was uh the fact that i i kind of had to create the music in a way that um uh it was less about like playing it um less less about creating a structure that i would like play live um and more about just uh some kind of relaxing background music um i'm hoping in muspelheim um it'll have some like metal elements um and so um have some yeah, kind of for, for the fiery parts. world of course exactly exactly so like each of those realms they're gonna have it's gonna veer off in, in a little different ways um uh you know jotunheimer will probably be like big big sounds kind of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, maybe um maybe get like uh big uh, big booming big, northern Yotun yeah big orchestra or something like that yeah big boom voices stuff like that but um yeah, but for for Niflheim, um, it was more kind of like ethereal uh, and and cold and misty, and uh, and so I I think you kind of get that from 
uh, from the album um, is this kind of like mystery. But I also, um, the the tempo comes up a bit from Gunanga Gap because Gunanga Gap was, was a lot slower, a lot more um, uh, ambient. And so this one, uh, it, it, it starts to hit a little bit faster. You know, life is starting to spring forth. Things are, are melting. You're starting to move into realms that have life in them now. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it, uh, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun to make those, uh, eight months and, um, worked with some really, really awesome people uh, on it. Uh, Gustav Holberg, um, who a lot of people probably know from, I'm not even going to try to butcher the name. Uh, um, you, Matthias, what, what's their <laughs> bad name? This is what I do. Um, <laughs> well, Nordafokens? Uh, 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 oh, uh, um, oh, yeah. Uh, Folket, uh, Folketet. Nordaminen. Yeah, so it's, yes. it, I think it, it, it translates like the sound of of the wind from the north or something like that. It's the people beyond the, the northern wind, right? Folket border for northern wind, and I'm I'm just butchering it in Danish instead of. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, he he, he uh, mastered the album um, in his studio, and he's got this really awesome like sod house cabin a studio up on a mountain in Norway, in Western Norway. Um, and it's like solar powered and he turned that into a recording studio. And so that's where the, the album was mastered. And I, I feel like it kind of like soaked in some of that, that essence. Um, there was a lot of um, old kind of, you know, Viking instruments that were, were sampled um, a lot of uh, Raven bones. Um, a lot of stuff was actually recorded uh in around on Viking burial uh, plots. Um, I had some recording done at uh, Bore, um, you know, right where kind of Midgar's boot is, uh, is done. And so I use some of those kind of nature sounds in the, in the background. Um, uh, there was definitely a lot more uh, sampling and a lot more, uh, lots of loot and leer, a lot of loot and leer. Um, and anything that, uh, that, I thought could be like guitar like I just replaced with a loot earlier. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. I mean the whole concept is very interesting. And I I can't wait to kind of see the journey. Because you've obviously put so much thought into it, thought into what each what each realm's going to be. You've planned it out. You know, you've got a whole roadmap for how this is going to be. So I'm really interested to come along on that journey and see how it goes from the start as you grow, as you as it changes, um, I think it will yeah. be a really fun journey, and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks. I uh, I'd love to do for for the next album some kind of like uh, uh, like a collector's kit that would come like maybe with like a, a horn and a bottle of meat and and a vinyl in the middle or something like that. Oh, that would that would be cool. Yeah, we can like we can talk that. about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, but I, if um, I, if you need a if you need a war horn. For sure, I can uh, give you some sounds of those. <laughs> Matthias, before we jump on to uh, the Asia and Vanier, what what can you tell us about Niflheim and what it is? I guess give us a little bit more description about the realm. Niflheimer is one of the um, 
So there's a lot of things going on in Aristotelian's Edda when he's like giving us these descriptions of like the cosmos. You get like the, all of these like funky realms. Some of it uh, inspired a little bit by uh, Neoplatonic philosophy. And this is also the um, uh, philosophy that's uh, Snorri is then like subscribing to. What he is riffing off of here is is knowledge that he have from skaldic poetry um, and references in Eddic poetry as well. Like to, for instance, a, a uh, underworld called Nipple Hell. Um, this like mist underworld. Like the word hell literally means covered. Right, it's it's it it just means some place that's covered uh, out of our uh, general vision, so to speak, and and by adding nipple to it, um, then we also have like mist as as another way of like intensifying that just how covered that place is, how 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 difficult it is to get there, right? That's really the point, and that's 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 the origin of uh, of our uh, of these like death realms and underworlds and all that stuff. And uh, like I've I've written extensively on this actually in my uh, uh, PhD dissertation because my uh, theory is actually that he's using imagery from volcanic eruptions. He tells us that we have these rivers that flow from the cold realm or this misty cold realm into Genungaga, where they then uh, crystallize, like they build up and like they become solid. It's like Dude, that doesn't work out. Like, if they come from cold and if they they are like you know uh, fluid, and then they ice over in the sort of more uh, temperate realm, that doesn't work out unless we're dealing with lava. Magic, yeah, magic. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. And, and each of the each of those rivers are actually. Uh, each, I've named one of the songs on the albums after each of those, mm-hmm. those rivers as well, those rivers of, of ice. Um, and it, it, it's interesting too, that, uh, that like, um, you know, they say that it was the melting of, of those then, uh, or at least some of the, that, that ice there uh, is what created Emir. Um, and so I, it, it almost makes me think of him more as like a stone giant. Yeah, no, so that's this, there's, Snorri is actually like in that creation of the world. He's compounding multiple images from the mythology, borrowing elements from uh, Vathrunis Maul, where Vathrunia is telling us an entirely different creation story that is actually much closer to something that looks like volcanic eruption. Um, whereas, like he, he's telling us, there's like this river that flows and then it like spatters, you know, aether uh, again is the word that they use. Um, which then builds up a human or, or a figure or something like that. He calls him Örkelmir. And Snorri tells us that Imi and Örkelmir, that's the same guy. So like Snorri actually seems to be uh, compounding multiple imagery um, in his creation story. And a lot of it, if you ask me, has something to do with like Snorri's experience. He, he probably had a personal experience of of volcanic eruptions there was um during his lifetime there were there were a couple of volcanic eruptions in the area where he lived um so he might have seen some of that there's something quite something quite romantic about fire and ice as well this idea of one side you know one side is a big flamey ball of 
whatever and the other place is frozen and they both meet in the middle and life starts there. something it is quite a you know a, a nice story of these two opposite elements kind of hitting and and then you get life yeah and you know for from sort of like a learned icelanders perspective this this makes sense on a global scale because snarri sturluson as as some was educated about the world around him knew that there was ice up north and also knew that it was really damn hot down in the north african desert like he was aware of of geography to that extent uh so to him it makes perfect sense that oh well the world that we can actually exist in is like between those two like the cold and the the, the fiery realm like it makes perfect sense but I guess even even on a more local scale to him, like Iceland's really fucking cold sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of snow and you also get volcanic eruptions. So you get both of these extreme elements in one place at the same time. Anyway, so even then it's it's could even be more simple than that. You you see these two things, and there's obviously new newish life there at his point as well. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this uh this situation where we see the description of like these rivers that build up some material as they come farther away from their source. Like that right there, I'm sure he has taken that specifically from an experience of seeing lava flowing. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's my personal theory on that. Um I can't I can't like verify it. It's 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 just a, a hypothetical scenario, but I'm pretty sure that he got it from there, or somebody telling him about it. Consider this: there's not a a, a generation in Iceland that has not experienced a volcanic eruption throughout the entire existence of humans on that island. It's like everybody will have had some kind of like possibility of interacting with a volcanic eruption, also getting killed from it. Of course, that's part of the interaction. That's... That's insane. And it also makes me kind of think that that all of these these nine realms could have been broken up into different countries, and that the the conflicts that was happening on them were tribal wars. And so it reminds me too of like um, like Aesir and Vanir. They could could have been two different dramatic tribes uh, with their own gods uh, and. The war that actually happened is is what you know what we see come come out of that um, of, of this kind of more more unified uh, religion. Um, I, uh, Matthias, do you think Golvig uh, is Freyr or Freya rather? Okay, so yeah, all right. So now we're we're sort of like uh, getting into that 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 very uh, interesting. A uh, subject of Devania and and who are they? What are they? Where do they come from? And all that stuff. Okay, so in in the prophecy of so a Verlospal, as it is called, the the the, the oldest poem that we presumably have, um, Edic poem. Um, it is probably composed in the late nine hundreds, early thousands, around that time. There we get this description of the. So the so-called first war, right? Which is where the it's it's sort of like a cryptic stanza that that that's mentions these this um these like invaders that are called 
uh, vanir. Um, and I'll get to what that word actually means uh, in a bit. And this happens right after this figure, Kutlvik, as you mentioned, Andrew, uh, shows up. And she is a woman, first of all, and secondly, um, also called a witch who uh, like entices other witches um, is kind of like this, this sense that we get from, from the explanation in the poem. And then uh, ultimately we're told that she's burnt in Odin's hall. And the question is then, who is this figure, Gutwig? Her name literally means gold greedy or gold drinker or something like that. So this has given rise to the theory that, oh, this must be the same figure as Freya. Because the main story about the war between the Aesir and the Vanir um, that we otherwise have is the Ynglinga saga. And uh, there we um, into Freya and Freyr, her brother, and also her father, Njadr, who are the three Vanir that um, the Aesir get in part of uh, as part of like a hostage exchange after this war between the Icy and the Vanir uh, at the banks of the Volga River in Russia. Um, so what we have to do is that we have to go back to really understanding what kind of text is the saga of the Inglings. And first of all, it's a historicized, euhemorized representation of Nordic mythology, right? So basically, what it means uh, when I say historicized is that Nordic mythology has been placed in context of world history, right? Something that happens in sort of like life. Uh, secondly, euhemorized means that gods have been turned into humans, right? That's the basic theory that that uh, medieval uh, Christian authors uh, use to explain why there's non-Christian religion out there. Um, they basically say, oh, people uh, started worshiping uh, ancient humans at some point after they had died. And that's exactly what we're told in this saga as well. So brief recap of the saga. Odin and his Aesir, they hang out somewhere over in Asia, right? Because we are also dealing with this like uh, funky etymology here uh, where Snorri is basically saying, oh, Aesir, Asia, that sounds the same. So the ICM must come from Asia. <laughs> and I've also heard that he um, he was a Spartan himself. Uh, who was? Odin. Well, so that might be sort of like an offshoot theory uh, somebody has come up with based off of this idea that the, the gods came from Troy. That's what Snedder Sturluson writes in the prologue to the Edda. But that's not exactly what is being explained in... Uh, the saga of the Inglings. In the saga of the Inglings, it is unclear exactly where the Aesir come from, except it's called Ausahamer or Ausaland or something like that. So basically the land of the Aesir. And I would, I would theorize that it's somewhere around uh, Iran or, or Turkmenistan or something like that. Like, so like Central Asia. Um, um, and that's based off of uh, what we know about other medieval mythologies around um, that that whole area. Snorri tells us that the Volga River was called Tanais. Um, that's the medieval name for it. 
And, and then he says, but it could also be called Vanekvisel. Uh, uh, and that's because the Vania lived there. So they are sort of like the first tribe that we meet on our way from Asia to Europe. And then uh, what Snowda tells us is that, oh, um, they, the, the Icy and the Vani, they have a war, but they're equally strong, so they settle a truce instead. And this is where they have this exchange of hostages. That's how Mother Freya and Freya become part of the Icy or, or you know, travel with them, essentially. Now, the interesting thing is that he tells us that, oh, uh, the, uh, the Vani used to marry... Uh, like brother and sister used to marry in, in among the Vanya, but that wasn't allowed among the Aesir, so Nyerder doesn't get his wife with him. So we don't really know who she is. Um, and there's also sort of like an implication here that Freyr and Freya might have been married. Like, it's not entirely clear. But ultimately, the Aesir and the Vanya then migrate to Sweden, where they set up shop, um, Odin Sigtuna, and then um, he dies. Then your other takes over and rules for a little bit, but he also dies very quickly. And Snowy tells us that at that time, most of the Aesir had died, except for Freya and Freya. And they're then the ones left, right? So what is really happening here is that um, this is like a narrative literary trick to Odin out of um, the royal lineage of the uh, Inglings, um, or, or disassociate him and this religion that is, according to Snorri Sturluson, like centered around Odin. Snorri has a very Odin-centered uh, mythology. It doesn't actually have to have been like that in pre-Christian times. That's Snorri's view. And he is like going through like these little literary hoops and 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 the trickeries to make uh, kind of make sure that that these this royal line of the Inglings that rules uh, Norway uh, isn't associated that closely with Odin. That's really what it's all about. And then to also tell us, oh, basically like these uh, these uh, this like pre-Christian religion that was that was just a bunch of misunderstandings. Like he's, we're learning, for instance, that when Freyr ruled in Uppsala, because like he then moves to Uppsala, sets up a nice little kingdom there. Um, we're told that he creates the crown goods, whatever that is, like the, the possessions of the lineage. And then when he dies, they pretend he didn't die. Um, and then they like um, eventually put him in a burial mound and people start like, you know, uh, uh, pouring gold, silver, and copper, I think, into the burial mound as sort of like gifts. And that's how pagan religion was invented, basically. That's what Snorri is telling us. Um, that time frame uh, that we're dealing with here is that it's probably around um, uh, just the time of Christ uh, that, that Freyr rules. And that's, that's like another sort of like implication that is actually, oh, it's Christ who's the real reason that everything was awesome. Um, but people just didn't know about that because they were like all the way up there in Scandinavia and about him down there and, you know, Middle East and all that stuff. So, so that's... Maybe that they got it wrong and maybe it was good for them because of Freya. <laughs> yes, no. You fuckers. <laughs> well, they, they attribute him as, as a god of like good... Uh, uh, you know, good fortune, good luck, and and um, and crops mm -hmm. uh, and, and stuff, and so 
he's in general he's, he's kind of like he, he becomes a more beloved uh a god especially among um you know the farmers mm-hmm. and that's why that, that's also like that's what he was um we we know that he uh I mean, the earliest description of him is from uh, 11th century. He's he's telling us that he's he, there's an idol of him in the temple in Uppsala, and he's represented with a giant phallus. So once again, this podcast has returned to talking about dicks. Uh, <laughs> it seems to be a topic quite recently. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> So that's, I mean, and he is represented with a, with a big phallus, and Adam of Bremen tells us that um uh, uh people pray to him for marriage so that that that's like a role that he has in that context um now adam of bremen is informed by the danish king swine austria the son um about all of this um as like adam bremen spent time at the danish court and has been picking up all of this information so you know it's probably not that far from the truth what he's telling us and that's just like uh, important to keep in mind because there, there is a lot of like you know uh, penis symbolism in Scandinavia um, associated with fertility. Um, Thor. Yeah, so this is the interesting thing because we see several place names in eastern, in southern eastern Scandinavia where Thor and the a word for field are combined, um, like in Sweden, Torshorka. That means Thor's arable land or Thor's arable field. In Denmark, it's Torsea, where you also like find it's the exact same words. Um, so there's something to that, you know, to suggest that Thor is actually in charge of that in in that uh, area. But um, we don't have similar place names in in uh, Iceland. I I can't remember exactly about Norway. I think it's a bit, a bit there's probably some um, that relate to Thor to to the arable fields, but overall, um, in Iceland, have any uh, like place names associated with the Nordic gods, which is in and of itself a very interesting situation. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's probably worth making a note of and kind of reminding people of that when you talk about this stuff, it's pretty much all spread through an oral tradition, and when you're talking about such a big geographical space. The, what one person believes on one side isn't necessarily going to be the same as what somebody believes on the other side. And it all nowadays it all comes under this idea of like Nordic mythology. Mm-hmm. And we try and put them in little boxes and say they all believe this. When these things get passed over and, and for one day, for whatever reason, something happens in a geographical area that makes them lean towards one god doing something rather than the other. And it just sticks. And it's in as well, I think it's so easy to think of the past as like a hundred years. You can just speak about it in two minutes on a podcast and it's a, it's a click of a fingers when in reality it's a hundred years, a lot fucking happens in hundred years. Look what's happened mm-hmm. in, 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 in my lifetime of 30 years, let alone what it was like a hundred years ago. So yeah. I think it's worth remembering that as well. When, especially when it's an oral tradition that's passed down from generation to generation, things can and will just change based on what happens and, yeah. Whether you get attacked, whether it whether there's an earthquake, whether there's a flood, whether there's a volcanic eruption in your little area, it changes your perception of the gods and who did what and whether they were nice to you or whether they were shitty to you. And I, th- I think that kind of like uh, that explains too why some of these gods or even some of the historical figures are attributed to being like you know brother and, and sister when they really were not. Um, 
or, you know, living, even living during the same time. Um, and I, I think part of that too, like, you know, Vikings putting Rolo and, and Ragnar uh, in, the, in the same uh, space, uh, even though they weren't really alive during the same time, as far as I understand. Um, I, I think part of that, that, that happens when, when you start talking about an entire people in an age. Oh, absolutely. You can, you can set up a bunch of basic rules for how uh, uh, oral narrative uh, function uh, as they're passed on and, and what happens. The things that, that is really important to keep in mind is that um, like uh, as one central rule is that um, like a, a, a once a, a figure, for instance, gains critical mass in, in a culture, so to speak, they simply like they, they almost like as a, uh, a like a black hole that like attracts everything. Right. A hero, for instance, um, once that hero is like known uh, widely enough, people start attributing other stories that might originally have been uh, about another hero to that figure. Right. So a, a good example is Hercules, who who like in, in, in Greek uh, tradition, like basically just like all, all the stories just go to, towards him. Right. Um, and I think I think. Yeah. Another note is is you know we spoke about in the last episode uh, the little figurehead that was found, and you know it's a little man's head with a with a bird on on his head, and everyone goes oh it's Odin, and I say well maybe it's not you know we don't we, in the reality is we have no fucking clue who that is it's just a little figure man's head with a bird like a little man's face with a bird on his head, and. Unless you know who made it, you don't really know who that is. But automatically, everyone's assumption is, "Oh, it's Odin." When maybe it's not. It could be, could be a Val Raven. It, it could it could be a Raven God that like nobody actually knows about, and maybe was specific to a cult in just that area. Could just be a dude drawing his mate in a fucking little figurines like yeah, that's Dave this over was, there. This was Raven Gray. <laughs> Raven Gray. Crazy. <laughs> no, that's true. So, yeah, you just loved birds. But, so this is this is actually a really good point. Um, you know, what would be much more interesting from like the perspective of the history of religion and culture in pre-Christian Scandinavia would be to ask the question, what does the role of that freaking bird actually mean in in their world? Like mm-hmm. why why do they yeah. keep making images of birds? Why do they put them on people's heads? Uh, why why are they associated with warriors? All of these things. That's much more interesting to talk about than whether or not this particular find right here is Odin or or is is it not Odin or is it a raven or is it a, an eagle? Like yeah, like let's let's talk this about like cool. what did what did the bird mean, guys? What did the bird? Mean? I, I find it interesting that like the flag of of the the great heathen army is is a raven. That's and, uh, you know, that's really interesting that of all of the things, you know, they pick that symbol, something that it isn't even like, I mean, other than the fact that they, they're, you know, they're kind of carrying them and they're, they're around um, at the end of, of battles, they're not very fearsome. Mm-hmm. Well, no, so, so that's, that's, that's again, like quite interesting because we, we do also have, you know, depictions of what looks like a, you know, a warrior um, that's from one of the Vendel helmets, one of those little plates that were on the plates. Um, a warrior who is like riding with like two birds next to him. And they, 
we could reasonably assume that they might be ravens. And again, we have to ask ourselves, like, what is this, the significance of the symbolism? Why, why, why does it show up like that? Um, could yeah. I mean, is there any evidence of them hunting with birds? Because I know, obviously, if if there was any origins or truth to it coming from like the Asian areas, obviously the the Mongolians do a lot of hunting with. We know uh, we know, know pretty recently eagles. when when uh, uh, falcon hunting uh, comes to Scandinavia in uh, the Merovingian Empire, um, in what is now France and Germany and Belgium, this becomes distinctly associated with the the, the aristocracy. This is also where you get like that they they basically invent feudalism. Um, <laughs> it's it's basically you make the entire population your servants right um so you have a state economy uh, uh, uh becoming the thing in merovingian uh in the merovingian empire basically that configuration of like um some duke who owns a piece of land and has a nice little castle on it and then uh, you have all of these uh peasantry and and whatever else uh, below him, running around doing all the things that he uh, for him, and then he also has a hunting park where he rides out, and you you can picture him with like a nice little Robin Hood hat kind of thing with a feather in, uh, riding out with a falcon on his um, his arm, and and going hunting um, like that. You know, once in a while, um, uh, the uh, the, the the lady of the woods, Diana, will show up and, you know, turn him into a stag and then he'll get eaten by his own dogs and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and this culture... Mondays, am I right? right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this culture emerges in the five, six hundreds and, and then uh, in the seven, eight hundreds precipitates north. We see the establishment of hunting parks in, in like southern Scandinavia in this time period. So, so there is an aristocracy in place already at that time and and they for instance use birds for hunting as well and so so there's there's a lot of uh, you know uh, even even though that they're probably not christians yeah i mean they're, they're probably still pagans they're still you know adopting a lot of cultural elements from the from the that big christian empire right south of the border and so yeah, that's that's part of how birds also become associated with aristocracy and warriors and so on, and take on a very sort of like totemic kind of like appearance in their culture. I would say um, we have several like associations with Odin, for instance, as like you know a bird man. He's called Arnahöfti, for instance, like eagle head. So mm -hmm. like it's it it is there, and and Hrapnagos as well, like raven god. Um, so, do you think, cause, like, birds hang around as well? This might sound ridiculous, so just hear me out. Um, like, birds are pretty ballsy in that they, because obviously they can just fly away. They've got not much to fear, I guess. Whereas you're not going to get a deer hanging around because it's just going to fuck off when it sees humans. It's the same now and it's probably the same a thousand years ago because it it's something in it and it says, look, I don't like these, I'm off. Even with wolves and bears, if there's a group of people, they're just going to disappear. You know, a, a bear, wolf, it's just going to disappear. It's not going to stay around. It's not going to attack an entire tribe. Whereas birds do. They just kind of stick around. They 
they pick up what they can. If there's something there, they're going to come down and grab it and fuck off. So is it is there something to be said in that? That it's something you see very often. Um, like me and Sarah went for a walk early and there was a crow that found a dead squirrel and it was pecking its eyes out. It's like, it's just hardcore. <laughs> yeah, it was. But then it's so like, metal. The thing is, as soon, as, soon as, you get close, as soon as you get close to it, the, the crow flew off. But as soon as we passed, the crow came back. And it's very fluid in that sense that they kind of exist close to us, but not they're not necessarily as fearful of, as other animals might be. So, uh, it has been known to humans for, for ages, millennia, how you can interact with, you know, different kinds of animals in different ways. And birds are, of course, some of the animals that are easiest to interact with, as you're pointing out, because they, they're, they're not as worried about our presence uh, as, as other animals. I will have to say, though, that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to consider that uh, that's an experience that I've had, at least, like, uh, the difference between you know wildlife in Europe and wildlife here in North America is that wildlife in North America is a lot more chill uh, about your presence. They they're not as worried about you as 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 they are in in Europe, um, because they haven't had as long as being fucked up by humans as I think over here. I think that's part like of animals. It. Animals over here just are like no. no. We don't want to go near people. Yeah, because you, it, you people are assholes. We know this already. No, no. <laughs> whereas, whereas over uh, here, they no. It's just, it's just that the USA hasn't existed long enough for them to have got that innate idea of just fucking off yet. Well, it's it's likely too that like the First Nations interacted with them much differently than than the people of of Europe. But it's mm-hmm. also it's also basic like modern metropolitan encroachment upon uh the, the the habitats right so here in north america there's a still a lot more space for the animals to exist in without being mm-hmm. totally you know uh, uh overwhelmed by humans yeah. um but like in europe uh europe has been overpopulated for the last two thousand years at least and so so that means that humans have been encroaching upon the, the habitats of these animals uh, in in a much more intense way that that's that's more what it is than i mean because like you know yeah people have been hunting animals here uh for you know at least thirty thousand years and i believe mm-hmm. the last evidence of uh, that came out for like human existence on the american continents is like 130,000 years old so for a very long time they do have that experience, but they're not as worried here, at least yet. Yeah, because I think it's on it's on the scale of you know when it's on a mass scale, they're going to become much more aware of it, I guess. Okay, so got to get back to the Vanya because there's one thing that we have to uh, consider here, and that is what the good uh, Rudy Zimek has uh, suggested. Uh, basically, that Devania never existed. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's because you know, the reason that he suggests that is, is that, that there are very few references where the, that word Vanya is actually used in the mythology in general. It's a very just before you you jump too far on it. How many like Vanya gods is there? Three that we know of. What about what about Ula? No. 
Sorry. I know someone mentioned this. Yeah, I, know. Like, <laughs> I know. Like, uh, yeah, I, I got that message too. No, Utlur is not one of the Vanya. Um, he's... You pronounce it so much different to me. <laughs> well, I'm like, Ulla, Ulla, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know. It's uh, my, mine is this, uh, this like, <laughs> like Icelandic with a Danish twang kind of pronunciation, I think. Um, <laughs> as a deity, he's really, really fascinating, actually, because um, he's got so many place names dedicated to him in, in Norway and Sweden, completely non-existent in, in the Danish area, in the southern Scandinavian area in general. Again, we see compounds such as Utlavi. Uh, so that would be um, Utler's holy site, or Utlins Oker, uh, which would be Utler's um, arable field. Uh, he's he's not mentioned as part of the Vanya by Snorri Sturluson, as far as I remember. Snorri Sturluson has like this little footnote. Like, oh yeah, Utler likes to go skiing, and he also hunts with a bow. And aside from that, uh, you can pray to him for a hand hand to hand combat. And that's it. Oh, he he knows Glima for sure. Oh, totally. Yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a Glima master. Glima god. <laughs> but see, that's that's <laughs> that's all you get. It's like four lines maximum, if if even that. Um, and so that's very different from what like all of those place names kind of suggest. Like Snorri knows hardly anything about this deity, and. Then we have all of these place names that suggest that he must have been an incredibly popular and important deity in in Norway and Sweden. Oh, it's it's in, it's insane the amount that we must just not know all the things that we think we know that are just fucking so wrong. That just are completely one hundred percent wrong. Everything and there's been so much other stuff based on this little bit that we think we know, and he just led everything in a completely different direction um do you ever just think about like what if like everything you think you know is just completely wrong like one day they find like this let's let's hypothetically say they just one day find this book and it's like the bible of what is actually like effectively of not in mythology we we assume that of everyone here in america like <laughs> we can't get information about today right with like half well, the yeah. population that's true <laughs> yeah Right. Yeah, but what would how how do you think you would you would act if you found like this holy this, this book that that outlined everything perfectly for what what you've learned for the last couple of decades is completely wrong. <laughs> well, that's a good question. Like, um, you know, uh, over the years there have been you know these these books telling telling the truth showing up here and there like um um back in the early 20th century or late 19th century we had the Ura Linda book um this like cryptic um script uh from from the Netherlands that 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 tells us all the actual ancient secrets of the Germanic peoples and all that stuff. You know, it happens once in a while. I would probably, if if a book like that surfaced, I would initially think, I wonder which Nazi wrote that. 
um, more than anything else, okay. <laughs> because that's usually the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, it, I mean, there, it's so funny. There, there are like still people out there who who like claim that they have like some kind of like a uh, family tradition that has been like preserved for for a thousand years. La 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 la. Um, and, uh, and and that they know all this, this secret knowledge about how the world really was or Nordic mythology really was and how Vikings really believe. And, if, you know, when you then start listening to what they're saying, it's like so funny how it all lines up with some popular bullshit that circulated in the early 20th century more than anything else. <laughs> you know, the, the movie Midsommar kind of touches on those ideas about how, like, where these traditions are coming from, how, how, you know, they, they've created a cult around these things, but like the actual, where, where the core of where these things are coming from is from an idiot. <laughs> I, so, love, I love those. I love that film. It's yeah, great, brilliant. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. Uh, yeah. No, I had a, a little interaction like that the other day, which I, I think is quite fitting. Um, it was obviously my, one of my little Facebook groups that I like to uh, frequent. And there was a, there was a guy kind of just, so I think there was a lady who asked for, she wanted to have her children's names in runes or whatever. And someone came in and was like, oh, the runes are, um, the runes are phonetic. They're not letters. It, you just can't do it. Um, and people were like, look, look, just chill out, man. I'm sure you can fucking do something. And then he was like, yeah, I'm sick of people uh, like, def- like defaming my ancestors or something like that. And I'm like, this fucking guy clicked on his profile. Hieroglyphics like, are phonetic, and they uh, they work fine. Names in hieroglyphics. So, <laughs> but I, but I like I, I clicked on his profile, and it's like fucking Bob from California, or whatever. And it's like <laughs> it's like come on, man, you've you've done twenty. I don't know if he's from California. <laughs> well, that, that's what it. That's what his profile said. But it's just like, look, you've done twenty three of me. You've got two percent Scandinavian. <laughs> And now <laughs> your your ancestors are offended because someone wants their kids' names in rooms. It's like fuck off, man. Just why? Yeah. Just just don't, don't forget he watched Vikings. So. Yeah. yeah. It's just like just chill out with it. And it's just stuff like that's just so frustrating because it's just yeah. It's well at the end of the day, this is all stories. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and they're all stories to enrich our lives. Um, and that's kind of like, I, it's the same thing with, with my music. I actually originally was really scared that there would be a lot of people that would listen to the music and they would think that like, I'm, um, sullying the, the sounds and ideas that, that originated with, with Wardruna or that like, you know, I'm taking the, these, uh, ideas, um, and sounds from my ancestors and, and pulling them way too far into the future and, and just doing ridiculous stuff. But I think, um, you know, stories always have to have some kind of like modern um, relevance. And so, and you don't want to sound like everybody else. You, you At the end of the day, you just kind of have to like tell your story um, and do the, do the best that you can uh, um, with, uh, you know, speaking something to, to your audience now, because, you know, your, your audience isn't people that lived 600 years ago. They don't give a fuck about what you're saying now. Uh, it's, it's people today. Um, and so luckily I haven't gotten any, uh, pushback from, from my sound. And in fact, a, a lot of people really like the fact that, 
um, it sounds different than a lot of other stuff, you know, in our realm of, of, of genres that we listen to. Um, I think that's one thing it's that because as we've proven on this podcast over and over and over, it is so complicated. I, everything around this is so complicated that when, when something comes out like Wardruna, people just automatically go, okay, that's, they just attach this idea that that's what it sounded like. And they just look at that and that's it. And anything else is, is wrong, quote unquote. And it's like with, um, I had another little interaction, which was much more positive. Um, and it was as a guy asking, like, I think I, I made a comment about how every, you can't trust everything that Snorri wrote. And he was like, oh, you know, why not? You see, like, it, it was nice, it was nice enough, but he was, he was just like, well, why not? You see it quoted everywhere and you see a lot of people use it. I always thought that it was really reliable. And I said, well, no, it's just that we have nothing better than that. That's kind of like what there is. So that's what people have to use. It doesn't mean that it's all right. But that that just shows like the this idea that a lot of people have. They just see this book, and because it's a book, and a lot of people use it to teach from, they just go, "Okay, well, it's really complicated. So I'm going to make it really easy by going, this is fact." Yeah, yeah. rather it's, that's the easy thing to do. Yeah. Exactly. Rather than kind of just going, yeah. "All right, maybe it's true, maybe it's not," because it's, it's a hard thing to do to be very open about and be very much kind of, "Okay, well, we we don't know, but we kind of maybe know this," and and it's. It's an uncomfortable situation to be in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's also there's there's a couple of things happening, right? We have a demand, like a market demand for for knowledge on uh, about Nordic mythology and all of these this history. That that there are people out there asking for it, and there's also actors out there who are generating uh, uh, that demand in different ways. There, there's people are uh, directly making money off of it. Some people are in other ways involved in, in, in creating a demand. Right. And um, that of course then means that people will be asking questions based of where they are coming from. Like what knowledge bases do they have to begin with? Right. That, that that's where they will be asking questions from. And then there'll be somebody ready to respond to that out there um, usually on the internet, right? So, so you have like uh, somebody who call uh, calls their page Norse facts or some other like that, um, <laughs> or like uh, Viking answers or whatever, right? And then I get so, I get so triggered by the word Norse now because you, you, you fucking you ruined look, it. Look, from you can still use the words; you just use it correctly. <laughs> Every time I see it, I just like... <laughs> we always have to like put it in the context. Is the person talking about that language from 1100 to 1500 that, you know, people wrote the sagas in and all that stuff? Then it's fine. Um, and yeah, so, like, so you have all of these people who are basically putting this stuff out. And what, what do they use for their, uh, like, like uh, to... to their websites or or create their Instagram profile and all that stuff. They usually use some kind of dictionary or uh, maybe the, the the primary material. Maybe they don't, right? Um, if they are not, you know, experts in the field, right? They will be lacking a component. That's that's always going to be the case. And also, depending on what kind of expert you are, like if you're an expert in language an expert in culture history 
history of religion, a bunch of things, right? There will be a certain, uh, you you would de- you would definitely like be lacking uh, uh, some some knowledge in some context or other, um, depending on how good you are at also like building up knowledge from other fields. So I'm I'm not as as a literary scholar I am not a huge expert on archaeology. I can talk about certain things, but I'm not you know the guy you should go to to ask about about a bunch of things that are about like you know, dating methods and you know, all that stuff. Well, I think the, the more information that you learn, uh, the, the more that you know that you, what you don't know. I mean, I, I have a degree in Scandinavian studies. I don't put that out anywhere because, well, first of all, kind of like, you know, I, I don't want people thinking like, oh, well, you know, this, why is it in a master's degree kind of thing? But because I have, I, I, I have at least that, that, the undergrad degree, I, I understand that there's a lot I, I don't know. Kind of like you're saying, there's there's so many specialties, and uh, you know, so that's why I'm, uh, I never tout myself as like uh, a, a place, a, a repository of, of of facts. Yeah, especially when it's when it's history and it's it's a bunch of dudes writing this stuff down. Yeah, but I think I think even amongst people who specialize in certain areas, there's a lot of differences and different opinions and one person thinks one thing one thing so even when you look at somebody who specializes in you still don't get like a definitive answer and i think the absolute worst one is rooms in my opinion for for, for like misinformation and things being wrong i know i always try to give people half decent books to read on rooms if anyone asks i'd be like look because that seems to be the thing that I see all the time in in my Facebook is what how do I learn runes? How do I read runes? How do I fucking learn to speak old Norse or write something in runes? And I say, look, if you want to learn runes, buy a book, buy a runologist, and read that. Like that's gonna be the best way. But even even then, like I I posted like Michael P. Barnes' book. I said, look, pick pick up that, read that. That it's expensive, but it's gonna be a good book. And then somebody else posted after it's like this somebody's this lady's book. And I thought, right, I'm gonna look at this. What what book's this? Clicked on it. It's like, oh, divination for runes by so and so, like Lisa something. Well, that's like the that. thing too, is it's not just a language, it's a it, it, you know, it's it's an, a system of augury. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's also used for divination. And so I think because there's there's a metaphysical, uh, a modern metaphysical link to you know to this ancient system of of writing it's why you get such a varied field of of opinions on it absolutely and 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 um yeah that and those idiosyncrasies that uh that you've been talking about daniel um when it comes to like people who are like well it's a phonetic thing i don't even know what they mean by saying that 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 group are phonetic like what 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 is not like which writing system it's is not phonetic. I mean, he, did, he yeah. didn't even use the word. That's phonetic. how words work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. He didn't use the word phonetic either. He just said sounds. Okay. Yeah. That's how words work. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, he just said they are sounds, not letters. But, I mean, he's a fucking sound to me. That is Bob. Bob. He's not Bob? even called Bob. I don't know his name, but he's fucking Bob from now on. From now on, yeah, that guy. 
<laughs> that guy is Bob. Bob Ragnarsson. Bob Ragnarsson. <laughs> yeah. So no, I mean, this is this is really important to consider, right? That the, that there are people who uh, are out there that generating all of these like the ideas about what this this really is, um, and and that then shoots in all these different directions, right? And sometimes there's a um, there's there's a layperson who does get it right, and sometimes a little too often they don't, right? And um, you know you can only really get to the point where you have like a, a, a like a solid understanding of uh, say for instance rooms and and all that stuff when you've gone through you know. A, a university degree on that shit like i'm sorry guys it's you, you, you gotta do that mm-hmm. <laughs> um if if, if, I, if you want to sit there on the internet and argue about it but that's the problem right? it's just a, yeah. that once you've done that then you don't have time to sit on the internet and argue about it that's the other thing it's like yeah. I, people say oh i googled like i've had it with like i'm no expert in rooms but i'll use like i when i carve horns i, I sometimes carve like names in rooms so I'll use like Michael P. Barnes, a handbook, like runes, a handbook. I'll use that and I'll look at it and I'll, I'll try and figure it out the best I can from using that. And I'll sometimes get people message me and go, look, I've looked on Google and this, this doesn't look like what Google says the runes are. And I'm like, look, motherfucker, <laughs> Google's not always right. <laughs> because like, Bob Google, <laughs> like you can't just, I'm like, can't just like people will just Google it and they'll find Elder Full Dark and they'll go, okay, well, this room means this, this room means that, and they'll just automatically go, okay, well, this one looks wrong. Right? Well, no, because I've just used a different. Well, that's the problem. They were looking at the Elder Full Dark. Well, that exactly, but that's the one that I think, especially if you don't really know much, yeah. you just see it. You see the word Elder, maybe you think so. Okay, well, that's older, so that's probably right. And you, they, mm-hmm. and it's it's just the most common. It's just the one that people see, so they just go to that. And then I get a shit email, and then I send them. Like kind of shittier email back in a nice tone, very passive aggressive, like taking pictures of the book and what I've used. I'm like, look at this. <laughs> but it's it it's just that idea of that there is I don't know how you combat it either. I no. don't know how you combat the amount of misinformation out there. And I think Mateus, even when you were asking me the day, because I know you wanted to do something on like misinformation of runes, and you were asking me like little bits, it's like I don't think even from you, because because obviously you've studied and you kind of just don't frequent the little Facebook groups that I frequent, because you are just much above that and you you just... No, 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 I, I, I throw down in, in Facebook groups once in a while as well. <laughs> but, it's fun. But but what I mean is like, I don't think you realize maybe the amount of misinformation because but I maybe a lot of your friends are scholars and, and people who are a little bit more read up on it. Like there's one called New Age Vikings. And everybody listening to this, please Ooh. just join this group. Just <laughs> like, not because it's the New best group, Vikings. but just because it is fucking hilarious. There's a lot of like random people with mascara just drawn all over the face. And <laughs> please just, uh, there's so much bullshit in this group. And I, I, I've been trying to get Mateus to join this on the, on the slide privately for a long time. Like, because it's just ridiculous, oh, but there is just, there is just so much. Just there's just so much. It's 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 funny, but it's also also terrifying in the sense that there's so there's so many of these people who are interested in this 
in his community, which is absolutely brilliant, but also just being fed bullshit by people who don't have a fucking clue. So they're just, it's like this vicious cycle of bullshit on bullshit taught by people who don't know anything. And it's, and it's, it's kind of like what you were talking about, how, you know, uh, with Snorri, that's the best that we have, you know, cause people are, are people that's not going to change. And so for all we know, he was the one guy that is the, the uh, new age Vikings guy of all of the actual information. That's the thing. Like we, there are so many cults out there that were probably there that were the same thing as some of these Facebook groups. Uh, they're so far away from the actual like or, origination of this information and these gods that probably to to somebody down the street sounded like fucking insane. So that's actually something I wanted to uh, um, add to the conversation here. Like Snorri Sturluson, we can pretty well to a certain extent sort of like narrow down exactly what Snorri is actually representing. He's representing a distinct. Uh, sort of like a mid-northwestern Icelandic version of Nordic mythology. Borkafjörður, um, a related mythology here. Um, it's quite interesting to see that uh, some of the some of the figures, like some of those giants that are some some, some real assholes in in his uh, his his story, like. Uh, the historical neighbors of of the farm that he's sitting on when he's writing. <laughs> Putting that out there, people. It's again personal theory here. But Gerhard was a guy. He was a real guy. He was a neighbor. So it's not a farm. I don't think they were contemporaries, <laughs> but he did settle in that area. People I like mean, it. so that's just something to consider. That 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 actually does. To, to be said for a very localized version of Nordic mythology that has certain ties to certain other. Uh, centers and of course this the main center that that learned Icelandic literature is always tied to is Bergen Western Norway is not Norway is not North Central Norway actually we know for a fact that the Icelanders were at least those learned Icelanders who wanted to suck up to the Norwegian king in Bergen um, they uh, loved shitting on the other center of power in Norway, Nidaros and the Møre district and um, up there, which was a uh, basically a contender to, you know, becoming the capital of Norway um, in the medieval period. Um, I mean, we know this from, from the Norwegian King sagas, there's a bunch of rivalries between those two regions in Norway and the Icelandic uh, learned individuals like from Frodi in the 11, uh, 20s and onwards, they generally take the side of the king in Westlandet in who, who like hangs out in Bergen primarily. So that's, that's really important to consider if, if, if it hadn't been, uh, those particular Icelanders from that particular area and those uh, associated with those particular Norwegians from that particular area, uh, then the, the mythology might have looked very different. Like, and this is mm -hmm. something that we can authenticate through other types of sources. Some of the saga literature definitely indicates that there were conflicts between different cults in Iceland, like a Freyr cult and a Thor cult and an Odin cult and so on. If we start reading Saxo's History of the Danes, we like that's a untapped source to Nordic mythology as well. He talks, he uses so much Nordic mythology 
But he do, does it in Latin. So that means that pretty much everybody north of Copenhagen is like, fuck this guy. Um, and uh, like, he, he, that's not real because it's Latin, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but he has like an entirely different story about how Balder uh, died, for instance. He was kind of a jerk. Um, <laughs> that's very different from Snorri's version where he's like the, the best yeah. of all gods. Ever, yeah, everyone loved him. Yeah, yeah. Like, in Saxo's version, it's like fuck Boulder. <laughs> he, it's just—it's just insane to think that everybody, everybody thought exactly the same. They all had the same ideas. It's just—it's insane to think about it because you know, it's easy to forget that that uh, that humans back then were just as humans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, nothing's new under the sun. Oh, absolutely not. Like walk into a church, right? Walk into a, any church today, regardless of where you are on the planet. Even like in in say a Christian fundamentalist theocracy, there will be a bunch of different versions of what Christianity is in the minds mm-hmm. of those people sitting in. Oh yeah, church, of course. Well, look how many different sects of Christianity there is, and they all fucking hate each other because they're not exactly the same. Even though you all ultimately believe in pretty much the same thing apart from a few minute differences but yeah let's all kill each other i think what fuck <laughs> off but Mateus, just to pull back to what you said about um snorri i found that really interesting did you so he wrote his neighbor into so if we go to london book right that's just that's book that counts the settlement of some 415 or 16 um, original settlers in Iceland, right? So the bulk of those people, they come from Western and Northern, Northwestern, sorry, North Central Norway. Um, Some come from the British Isles. There's also like one Dane involved and like one Swede, a couple of Irish. Um, And I think it's like, what is it, like 11 of them are actually women who take land in Iceland as well. Um, but aside from that, uh, what we we can see there is that a man named Geirröder, um settled in that area, uh, in Borgefjörður, close to um, where Snorri's farm was. And um, and I, I can't remember exactly how it goes down, but there is something, there's like some conflict happening, right? So is that... Snorri's contemporary, like he's he's much older, he's he's long before Snorri, um, but but uh, but there is there thing to be said for like a, a, the the memory of a conflict here. I just find it really interesting that uh, that <laughs> that they, there's there's like a man in Guerra who settles and is a, kind of a jerk to his neighbors in the same district. And then Snorri, like uh, several hundred years later, is sitting there writing a story about this, this, uh, uh, that Thor has to go, go fight this giant Gerro in the mountains. Same with Hrungnir as uh, this uh, giant. There are several individuals in the early Landnaum land-taking period that are also called Hrungnir as like a byname. So like this one guy called Thorstein Hrungnir, for instance. And I always just like, I always wonder how many how many artists do that just take inspiration from from real life and pop it in there because I know when I went to when me and Sarah went to the the Vatican saw the Sistine Chapel the we had a a guide who showed us around and she was telling us how obviously the Pope issued the painting of 
of the chapel. But on the on the back wall, there's the, an amazing mural, I guess. And you know, obviously, the, the Pope hired this this guy to oversee it all and, and look after him, make sure Michelangelo was on on form. And he apparently kind of pestered Michelangelo was on his back every day. Um, and they didn't get on very well. So at the at the big unveiling, um, when when they kind of revealed this back wall. Down in the bottom corner, there's this little demon, kind of gremlin figure with the face of the guy who kind of pissed him off every day. <laughs> I found that just, I found that hilarious. That's kind of immortalized in this amazing painting, just this one guy who was just a dick to Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, fuck you, guy. You're, you're, you're going here. And I just wonder how many little Easter eggs like that exist in all yeah. types of mythology it's just like one guy for, just a dick for all we know the nords and danes could have made up the the dark elves as just really they're the swedes <laughs> <laughs> it could have been a rivalry thing mm -hmm. why not man <laughs> for sure. no this is there is there is something to be said for for that kind of stuff like being written in, the, in different ways um and you know also like uh, rivalries between earls who wanted to be king instead of the king and that kind of stuff. We do actually see evidence of that. Like, so uh, aforementioned Saga of the Inglings is based off of this skaldic poem, um, the, the, the Inglingatal, as it is called. And, um, you know, the, the bulk of that story, the, the part that is not about Northology is actually that poem, basically. And and there's like a knock knockoff of that, Haulek Ital, which is basically the uh um the sort of like the knockoff poem uh, that belongs to the earls of um of of the uh uh, uh um and like the northern part of Norway. So there, there was there were rivalries there, and like the, the the earl up there was like, oh, I heard that guy who calls himself a king down there in uh, in Westland that uh, he uh, he he got this fancy poem made. Well, I'm gonna get a fancy poem too. Like somebody find me a skull, and then and then uh, you go from there. Just dick swinging, go Total back to dick dicks. swinging. It's just. <laughs> People swinging, like kings swinging their big dicks, going, look at me, I want to be the biggest, the best, the baddest. <laughs> and some things never change. Yep. Let's wrap this up. Our our live chat has just turned into people looking at New Age Vikings group on uh, <laughs> on Facebook. And <laughs> I think they enjoy what they see. So everybody listening to this, <laughs> if you do nothing else from this episode, just go check out that that Facebook group <laughs> because it is hilarious. Um, Andrew, thank you very much. Um, I'm really looking. Oh, I mean, I've listened to the new album; it's brilliant. Everybody listening to this now. Uh, by the time what day is it? So by the time this comes out, it will already be released. Is it going straight onto Spotify on the first? Yes, it'll it'll be uh, available uh, everywhere right on the first. Okay, so when you listen to this, go straight to Spotify, put in The Sea Wolf, you're going to find the new album. It is brilliant. Listen to it, rate it, follow it. Make sure you, you check Andrew's workout. It's, it's something different to what you hear in this kind of community, I guess. It's, it's good fun. I really enjoy it. Uh, where can people find you or at least your work other than obviously on Spotify? 
Yeah. So um, website, which has like a lot of links is theseawolfmusic.com. Um, on Instagram, uh, I'm low.vi.music. So L-O-W dot V-I dot music. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where I'm mostly at. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Mateus, you do your thing. <laughs> Um, you can also, you can find me on Instagram. You can also find the Nordic mythology podcast on Facebook. Um, just type it in and, uh, <laughs> you can follow the Nordic mythology podcast there. You can also follow the Nordic mythology podcast on Instagram there. The, I helped you out oh, a little bit. You stealing my thunder. <laughs> Your guys' website's super nice, by the way. I really like oh, it. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, we've been a little bit quiet on the Instagram and the Facebook, but we have a nice lady called Gabriella who's going to be taking over that and looking after some of those aspects for us. So we're going to be more active and getting up-to-date posts on those. Um, Nick, just before we before I reel off everything, we have Roderick Dale coming back next week, which I'm ridiculously excited about because I know at the end of the last episode with him, we teased his superb knowledge on the berserker and Hulfadin and his idea that almost it is a hacker style dance which i cannot wait to learn more about i mean that guy i could listen to him all day he, he knows his stuff i'm really excited for that um if you enjoy the show please take a moment to leave us a five star rate and a positive review preferably on itunes it's just the biggest platform for that makes helps people find the service i'm not even sure you can leave a review on things like spotify to be honest um so yeah so it it really helps helps people find the show helps us kind of bump up the the ratings um helps new people discover the show also if you want to join in a little bit more and support us you can help us out on patreon we have different tiers of everything from five pound ten pound to twenty pound you get different things for each tier it's all explained out on there but every tier gets access to our bonus episode that we record after the main show every week um it's the vikings watch long show we are on episode four i think it is today things start heating up ragnar's challenging for the earldom so uh we're gonna we're gonna record that right after this so yeah as as mateo said you can follow us at the Nordic mythology podcast on facebook same on instagram and then our website nordicmythologypodcast.com you can get our merch our t-shirts um i've just posted a bunch of those out today i've been a little bit slow with the last couple of weeks so thank you for bearing with me um we're a busy man unfortunately sarah sarah did it i'm not gonna take can't even take the 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 glory for it i asked sarah to send them (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's the show andrew thank you very much once again please go and listen to the new album when it comes out it's the seawolf niflheim obviously you can if you want a physical copy um you can just jump onto hornsofodin.com and grab one from there like like Andrew said earlier, you get the digital download as part of the bundle, um, but you also get a nice little CD as well, which is, uh, I haven't had a CD in a while. I'm looking forward to mine. Yeah. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Thank you very much.